Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm Ryan Coonerty. Along with Debbie Cox Bolton of the New Deal, I'm lucky enough to be your co-host. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports the next generation of American leaders. From attorneys generals, to state senators, to mayors, to school board members, these are the people that are pushing policies and politics that will respond to climate change, rebuild our economy, address racial injustice, and restore our democracy. These are incredibly talented people who have dedicated themselves to public service when their country and their communities needed it the most. Check out NewDealLeaders.org to see what I'm talking about. As we head into fall and the weather cools down, I decided to take our listeners south to the shores of Florida. This episode, I talk with St. Petersburg, Florida Mayor Rick Kreisman about the influx of remote workers, housing affordability, climate change, and how he decides to run or not run for elective office. Mayor Kreisman is an attorney who previously served on the city council and in the state legislature before being elected mayor in 2013 and 2017. He's pursued a number of fascinating efforts to support small businesses, engage the public in budgeting, and increase equity. Enjoy. Mayor Rick Kreisman, welcome to An Honorable Profession. It is wonderful to be speaking with you today. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm honored to be uh, on your podcast. So I want to start, I think, where uh, all the conversations start, where can you talk a little bit about how your city has fared during this COVID crisis and sort of what do you see for the immediate future? Yeah, it, 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 truthfully, it's, it's in some ways been very challenging. You know, my city is in a state where the state government, from the governor to the legislature, uh, have done everything they can to take away my authority to try and keep my community safe. Uh, and so it's, it's been very challenging, and it's gotten worse certainly within the last six months, at least at the, as the pandemic was beginning. Myself and other mayors around the state of Florida were able to take actions to try and, and keep our community safe, and, and we did that. And in fact, I, I've said oftentimes that our governor should be thanking mayors across the state of Florida because a whole lot more folks would have unfortunately become ill or died. And a lot more of our businesses would have suffered had we not taken the actions that we took. Um, you know, having said that, my city has fared uh, pretty well overall. You know, we, we were able to keep our positivity rate in control as much as, as possible. Our hospitalizations, we were able to keep those numbers as in control as possible where we weren't experiencing some of the crisis that other communities were, were suffering we got money into the hands of our small businesses and the employees of those small businesses very quickly with something we called our Fighting Chance Fund. Well before the CARES Act monies were, were released, we had already gotten over $6 million into our community uh, to try and provide assistance and tried to uh, look for ways to allow our businesses to continue to be able to operate but do so safely where we were keeping our community safe. And and so as a result of that, I think we haven't lost as many businesses as some other communities. As a, as a city government, I didn't have to lay off any employees. I was able to continue to keep everyone on payroll. And we've even, as we enter this new fiscal year, 
and our council will be approving our final budget on Thursday, we we will be reducing our millage rate, even coming out of the pandemic. So I'm uh, very optimistic of, of how we've fared through the pandemic. And I want to talk to you about some of those economic revitalization efforts, because you've been a real leader, not only for your community, but for all of us nationwide looking at it. But first, I want to talk about what you talked about, this dynamic of having a state government that um, is not only sort of anti-science and anti-health, but is undermining your ability to be able to act. And do you have any advice for mayors that may be, you know, uh, blue dots and red states that are trying to navigate state encroachment on your ability to, to govern your community? You're seeing it happen nationally right now. Organizations like ALEC who are, you know, spreading all these preemptive policies around the country to Republican-led legislatures are really making it difficult for all of us to do our jobs. I mean, we we know our communities better than any of the state representatives or senators and certainly better than our governor, at least in Florida. But I suspect that's true for, for other states with Republican governors. And so, you know, I, I think we, we have to challenge them when we can legally. We have not shied away from filing suit against um, the state legislature and against the governor if we thought that it, they, their preemptions were overreach. I am very vocal, and I think we, we, we have to be. You know, oftentimes our voice is our greatest weapon, and it's the only one we have at our disposal, especially when you're in a state like in Florida where the House, the Senate, governor, and, and all but one cabinet position are controlled by Republicans. And so to take the philosophy that, well, I'm, I'm not going to say anything because I'm going to try and get along, it, it isn't going to work because they're going to continue to do the policies and put those policies in place that take away our authority. And if they're going to do it, I'm not going down without a fight, whether that's through the courts or, or, or it's through the press. And so I think, you know, that's a, that's a weapon that we have to use. And we also have to educate our voters because, you know, when, the bottom line is it's our voters who are putting these folks in the position to do what they're doing. And they're the ones who are best positioned to take away that power. And so I think it's really important that we, we tell the story of how they don't understand our community like we do. And we need to be able to do those policies that our citizens elected us to do, not, uh, you know, not Tallahassee or any other state capital. Can you give us a sense of what what you see as the future politics of Florida? All of us often think of Florida as a swing state, and then it doesn't quite swing like we had hoped uh, in elections. What do you see as the as the political future of your state? It's interesting because my feelings have kind of have changed a little bit. You know, if you had asked me that question a year ago, I was very pessimistic about the the future of Florida for Democrats and, and moderates and, and anyone who wasn't on the far right. But, you know, over the last year, the position that the legislature has taken on a number of issues that our governor has taken, you know, I, to some degree, I think they're overplaying their hand a bit. And I know of a number of Republicans in my community, for example, who are really getting frustrated with the positions that the governor and the legislature have been taking and how extreme those positions have been and are starting to feel like the state is, you know, the state government at least has, has moved too far uh, to the right and following Trump too much. And, and I think that that bodes well for us 
because I do think it's just a matter of, of time. It's not going to happen overnight, but I do think that opens the door uh, for that pendulum shift and swing uh, to uh, allow us to get back in power and, and uh, bring the state back to what it used to be, which was a, a state where we actually believed in science. We believed in education in lifting everyone up and in, 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 uh, equity and diversity and, and tolerance. I've noticed in the, in some of the news articles that you've talked about that you have an influx of people who have decided to move to St. Pete. If they can, if they can live and work anywhere, St. Pete's a really good place to go to. Are you seeing, do you think any of that COVID remote work migration might swing the politics of, of Florida a little bit? I do, uh, and that's a, you raise a really, uh, really great point. We are, we are seeing uh, folks that are relocating from, from New York, from New Jersey, from California in particular, a lot from San Francisco. We're seeing people relocating from Portland and from Seattle, uh, and even from Texas and, and in Austin. And it's really picked up in the last six months in particular. But we were, we were starting to see it even before COVID, quite honestly, but COVID, I think, has accelerated it. And so, you know, they, the, the, the folks that are coming here are, are tending to come from states that, that are blue or communities, certainly, that are blue, like Austin, even though that tends to be in a red state. And, but what I'm hearing from them is they're coming here to Florida and in particular to St. Pete specifically because they like the politics of the city. They like the values of the city and that we celebrate diversity and we celebrate equity and tolerance and they want to be a part of that. And, uh, and their business wants to be a part of it because that's the values of their businesses. It's a blessing to have people choose to come to your community, especially those that want to create companies and create jobs. How do you manage some of the, you know, those folks are all leaving, whether it's the Bay area or Seattle or New York because of concerns about affordability and access to workforce. How do you, sort of plan to learn the lessons from those other places so that uh, you aren't sort of repeating the, the challenges that they've seen. And that's something that we, we think about every day. And, you know, that's the beauty of, first off, uh, it's the beauty of our party, but in particular of mayors is that, you know, we, we all really look out for each other. We share information, we share best practices, lessons learned, Getting to talk to folks like, for example, Steve Adler in Austin, and I know he's been dealing with challenges as it relates to homelessness, uh, or uh, former Mayor Lee and now, you know, the current mayor in San Fran about some of those same issues or affordability, and 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 having those conversations about, all right, what we know you're dealing with this, what are you doing, and how effective has that been? We are definitely uh, trying to do that uh, because I, I think for for myself, my entire team here in the city, we've got something special going on in St. Pete right now. And we want to continue growing because we know that, you know, uh, if you're not growing, you're stagnating or you're dying. The best way to lift people up is to create jobs and that are good paying jobs. And you, you need to attract business to do that. But how do you do that in a way that you don't destroy the quality of life and the character and the feel of your community that is attracted people to come here to begin with. We are, we are constantly looking for ideas and best practices and former secretary, labor secretary Perez 
uh, and this is a line I love because uh, I think it resonates so well. Uh, he once said, best thing to do is to steal and scale, steal great ideas from other communities and scale them to, to your community. And, uh, and that's exactly what we are, what we are trying to do here is, is uh, uh, we're, we're happy to steal great ideas and then scale them to our, to our community. Absolutely. That's one of my, uh, it's one of the best parts about the new deal, frankly, is you get to go to these conferences and, uh, steal a bunch of ideas. And it's very, the fit, the stealing is very efficient because everyone's in one place Then you come back and try to implement them and take full credit as, as mayors, as mayors are wont to do. So I saw St. Pete got about $45 million from the recovery plan. Hopefully there'll be money flowing down uh, on this in this infrastructure bill being considered by Congress right now. How do you plan to invest that money to scale, you know, the quality of life and the things that are attractive about St. Pete to both your current residents as well as future residents? Yeah, and, and and let me say one one thing before I answer that question because you know we were talking about stealing and scaling and best practices and and it is something I'm very grateful to the New Deal for is it's a think tank. I mean, from my from my perspective, it is a place and it is an organization where I know that I can I can turn to the organization, I can turn to members and other uh, elected officials, and there's just so much great policy. It's all about policy, which I love. Uh, I mean, that's, that's like the mission of this organization is let's, let's help our elected officials get the best policy ideas possible. Uh, and so I'm very appreciative of that. So I, I, I really wanted to um, make sure I, I said that uh, before I move on to American Rescue Plan. So we, we decided in St. Pete, we wanted to do something a little different than the way you know we dealt with when we got some CARES Act funding and, and, and all of those things. And, and, and in particular, we were in the middle of our budget, uh, working on our budget when we first you know, were, found out that, that you know, these dollars were going to be coming down to us. What we kind of decided was, and we heard from the public, is they wanted to have a say in, in, in what was happening here. And, and, and while we had already started to do some modeling of ways we could spend our $45 million, we decided to go out to the community and we, we came up with five um, what we called areas of impact. Infrastructure, which included water, stormwater, sewer, broadband, roads, and transit. Housing affordability and support, uh, health and, and social equity economic recovery and resiliency, and then uh, public health and safety. And we, we held a number of community meetings where we asked we, each department in the city that fell under those categories, talked a little bit about some of the things that potentially those dollars could go for under those areas of impact. And then we asked the public to rank those areas of impact, and we, and we made a commitment to the, to the community that we would spend our money based on the ranking of what the community felt was the most important need, where we ought to be uh, putting those dollars first and foremost. And, and then we've now taken the ranking, and we are dividing the funds up between those uh, five areas based on that ranking with uh, you know uh, the most money going into the one that ranked number one, followed by two through five. Uh, and then we're going to start uh, plugging into those categories, those areas of impact projects or programs that fall within them. And then we'll take that to city council for their, for their ultimately approval. 
but it was really important to us that we wanted the community to feel like we are listening to them, uh, we, we hear what's important, and that we are going to use these one-time funds to try and address things that the community was most concerned with. Did anything surprise you that emerged from that ranking process that you don't think would have been, you know, it may have been important, but it may not have been uh, rated as highly had you not engaged the community in that way? Uh, I'd love to say I was surprised, but truthfully, based on the ranking, I wasn't because housing affordability came in number one, followed by social equity and then infrastructure and then economic recovery resilience and last was public health and safety. You know, housing affordability is just, it's for any successful city in any city that's growing. And that's so many of our communities all around the country. Housing affordability has become a real challenge. And so I figured before we even started the process, that might finish number one. The order of two, three, and four, I wasn't as, as certain about. Uh, I'm not surprised by it, but I wasn't going into it as certain. I really, based on everything I've been hearing in the last two years as mayor of, of my administration, I, I was pretty confident housing affordability would, would come in uh, number one. And it's also the reason you know, that uh, my administration is really trying to address it through something we call our For All From All program. And can you tell us a little bit about that program and what your strategy is? Yeah, in a city that's, that's as built out as St. Pete is and, and it's surrounded by water and, and as such we have very limited land that we have available, that makes, it makes it even more challenging you know, to, to really try and increase your stock of housing that's affordable. And, and you'll notice I'm saying housing that's affordable as, affor- as, as opposed to affordable housing. I've kind of shifted away from using the affordable housing term than we have as an administration because what we found is that everyone seems to have a different definition for what it is. And frequently when it comes to neighborhoods, uh, when they hear affordable housing, they, they think of Section 8 or, you know, they think of the low, low, low income. And that's when you start getting the nimbyism that comes out. And instead, we, we, we've tried to talk about how we need housing that's affordable for everyone at all levels. And so that's the first part when I said for all. We want to make sure that we are creating uh, opportunities for housing for low, low income, low income for work, workforce housing. Uh, we want family housing because St. Pete, uh, as I mentioned, was a built-out community, and as we were growing up, we had a lot of two-bedroom, one-bath houses because we were a retirement community for a long time, and now we're, we're more of a younger, vibrant family community, so we need more three- and four-bedroom houses, and we, we are having a lot more people that are moving here, so we still need market rate, too. That's the for-all piece. The from-all piece is is trying to tell our community, look, we need to all be a part of this. And whether that means we're looking at spending city taxpayer dollars at purchasing land or contributing and helping subsidize the construction of housing that's affordable, if it means asking developers to be uh, paying uh, into a fund uh, to, to help fund housing that's affordable, county funding, state funding, federal funding, it's going to take everyone working together, and it also takes nim- uh, uh, neighborhood associations getting away from being NIMBYs and becoming YIMBYs and being w- willing to recognize that we can do housing that's affordable in their community and it's dense, but do it in a way that it fits in with their neighborhood. And if it's done right, you can't tell who's living there. You don't know if it's low income or market rate. 
We've got a 10-year plan. We have something called Penny for Pinellas, where our voters thankfully uh, approved an additional one-cent sales tax. And as part of our For All From All plan, a percentage of the funds that are generated will go straight to housing. And I I think you brought up a really interesting point that I I don't think it's talked about enough in the housing affordability context, which is you not only need housing, you also need the right type of housing for what your community is and will be. And it was interesting how you talked about how your community is shifting from a retirement community to a place where families are settling and, and growing their lives. How do you think about the type of housing that you want in St. Pete for the future? Well, you, you know, we, we have a vision statement of Saint, in St. Pete, and, and the vision statement says St. Pete's going to be a city of opportunity where the sun shines on all who come to live, work, and play. We will be an innovative, creative, and competitive community that honors its past as we pursue our future. And I mention that because I really believe part of the vision statement, the second part of it about being innovative and creative, is we're going to have to be if we're going to solve the housing crunch and, and the crisis that uh, our city and so many others are, are facing. And so aside from, you know, looking for opportunities, both from on development that's occurring on our land and in working with other developers to get them to do a percentage of their project is, is affordable, we're also looking at our zoning code and our building code and looking for ways of of creating more opportunities, whether it's uh, changing zoning to allow more accessory dwelling units or, you know, garage apartments. We just did a ribbon cutting the other day on a, it's a duplex technically, but it looks like a single family house. And it's a, it's an innovative design that I hadn't seen before. But when you look at it from the, from the outside, you see a single front door, you see windows across the front, and so it looks like a single family house. But if you go to the back of the house, you're going to see another door and it, the unit is basically split in half. And so half of the unit you enter from the door in the front of the house, the other half you enter from the door in the back of the house. But for the neighborhood, it looks like a single family home. Uh, and so it's, it's that innovation and creativity of, uh, I think that's going to help us solve this crisis and, and its density. That is uh that's that's fascinating. I love that idea. I'm gonna have to to steal and scale uh, here in Santa Cruz, as 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 you as you recommend. I want to shift a little bit to sort of a similar thing when we talk about communities re- remaining vibrant. As you mentioned, St. Pete's surrounded by water, and we're facing climate change and sea level rise. You've been a leader on the climate issue. Can you talk about what you see both now and, and into the future for your community as, as the weather patterns change and seas rise? Yeah, we, we, we're taking it in, incredibly serious, which we have to. Um, we are, and we've been named one of the most at-risk uh, cities in the country for, for climate change and sea level rise. So, you know, early in my administration, I made the commitment to become 100% renewable by uh, 2035 and to reduce our CO2 for footprint by 80% by 2050. Uh, we are honored to have been awarded one of the uh, Bloomberg Philanthropies American Climate Cities Challenge Awards. And, you know, the uh, Bloomberg Philanthropies and Mike Bloomberg, they really have been such a great friend to cities all across this country, but uh, especially when it comes to the issue of climate change, you know, he, Mike's been such a leader and the organization has provided us with amazing resources to help us work towards these goals that we've set. And one of the other things that 
that was really important is you, you got to have a roadmap. I think if you're going to, to try and hit the goals that you've established and, uh, my director of sustainability and resiliency, uh, Sharon Wright, who I, I don't think she sleeps at all. Uh, I think she just, this is all she does. Uh, but um, she helped put together, along with the rest of the city team, an in, what we call our Integrated Sustainability Action Plan, or ISAP plan. And that, that is what we are using kind of as our roadmap toward becoming more sustainable, more resilient, and helping us to reduce our footprint uh, and do our part of what needs to collectively happen uh, in the state of Florida, across the U.S. and and the world. And you know, being involved in things like the city's race to zero, uh, and uh, the great mayor from L.A., Eric Garcetti, who is um, president of C40, has been leading that challenge. Uh, I've been honored to to be working with Eric on um, trying to get as many cities to commit uh, and become a part of the city's race to zero. But I think for all of us, it's, it's using our voice, again, using our voice, our, our platform, and, and being leaders and, and demonstrating, you know, don't ask people to do things that you're not willing to do yourself. And so, you know, that's what it's going to take, I think. And, and um, you know, all of us working together to really start having that impact. Can I shift a slightly, which is to say you are finishing up your term, are termed out and won't be running for office again, but you have all this knowledge around economic development and vitality, around uh, housing affordability, around climate change. Where are you going to be uh, applying your skills in the coming future or, or have you had time to even think about it? Well, you know, if you know anybody that's hiring, I'm, I'm looking for a job. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I jokingly, uh, you know, when the press asked me, what are you going to be doing? I, 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 I love to say, well, I'm going to live my life like a Jimmy Buffett song after this. But the, the reality, I, truthfully, I, I don't know yet. I, I really am hoping that I can do something where I feel like I'm, I'm serving my community. I'm, I'm still giving back. This job as mayor has been probably one of the most gratifying, uh, um, personally fulfilling jobs I've ever done in my life because you can really make a, a serious impact on your community and, and, and lift people up, and, it's, uh, and that's just a great feeling. So I, I, I hope I can find something uh, that I can do that is, is, is rewarding and uh, that I can be as passionate about and that hopefully impacts people's lives. So it, it, I, I haven't figured out what that is yet, but, uh, and, and I'm running out of time, so I got to work fast, but uh, I'm sure I'll figure something out. Sure, you figure something out. I want to, I mean, I have to ask because you were uh, recruited to run for a congressional seat and you opted not to. Can you talk a little bit about? I mean, overall, your in your career, how you've decided where you can best serve and what the best office to to sort of to to be in in any given moment is for you. That's a great question. You know, I, and and truthfully, when I growing up, even in college, this was not something I ever thought I would be doing. I, I would have never dreamt in my life I would have served an elected office, let alone be the mayor of city of St. Petersburg. You know, for me, it's always been, I, I've always loved trying to help people. When I was practicing law, I worked with, with folks who uh, were injured in accidents or were discriminated against uh, and, and that, that had a, a, a disability or a challenge and somebody was, was discriminating against them. So I always wanted to use 
uh, my time on this planet to try and make a difference in some form or fashion. You know, when it came to running for office, it was, you know, you you always, I think, have to be realistic and there, you know, and and look at it. Do I realistically have a a chance, first off, of of being successful in in the run? Uh, And if I don't, is there a reason I'm running? You know, maybe you're setting yourself up for this for the run the next time. It shouldn't just be driven by ego. And so I always want to look at that, but I also want to look at the position and say, you know, is this a position I'd be interested in and what I do, I think I can make a difference. And so, you know, running for starting at city council and then moving up to the state house and then ultimately to this job was, was easy. Cause I, I was watching what was happening, for example, in St. Pete and I knew the mayor, I actually served with him on city council and he was a nice guy and he's a good man, but I just didn't see that he was changing the lives for the better of the city and was moving the city forward. And I thought I could do a better job. And so that's why I decided to run, you know, for Congress, it is a job I've always had an interest in, but, you know, I, I think we're at a point or, or a place which I'm a little concerned about where, you know, I wish we could get away from the influence of money and, and, uh, how, you know, you've got to have it obviously to run for office, but it felt like the more I talked to folks about the, the position that it, it consumed your time getting elected and then staying elected as opposed to the policy, which again, I like policy and I like trying to do things that make a difference. And if I'm spending all my time fundraising and campaigning and as opposed to working on policy and, you know, trying to help my community, that's not what I want. And so for me personally, that was the decision that, you know, am I, what works for me doesn't necessarily work for somebody else. You know, I, I had, I looked at the position of attorney general or governor here in Florida and, you know, I had concerns about whether it was winnable by me, uh, not to say that seat's not winnable by another Democrat, either of those seats, because I think they are, but I didn't think I was the right guy at the right time. And timing plays a big part of it too. You have to be the right person at the right time with the right message. So a lot of things have to happen to be successful. I've had eight campaigns over 21 years, and uh, I've only thankfully lost one, which was my first one. I learned some valuable lessons and didn't repeat them, (laughs) the the ones, the mistakes. But that's kind of the way I look at things. I think that's a really smart analysis and and hopefully helpful to elected officials out there listening contemplating what they do next. And frankly, your, I think your analysis of Congress is, is sad, but true. And so you have to be willing to accept that, that dynamic, which is distasteful to, to, to so many of us who just want to go and do the work and do the service that that's, that's such a big component of, of being an elective office. Yeah. My, my last race for reelection uh, unfortunately for my city was probably the nastiest race our city has ever seen, but it was also the most expensive race our city has ever seen, you know, and I, and I did what I had to do to, you know, from a fundraising standpoint to be successful. But I think it also showed me that, you know, if I'm not passionate and I'm not a hundred percent all in, and this goes for any position you're thinking about running for, man, if you, if you're not all in, don't do it because you're going to put yourself and your family 
through all kinds of hell and you don't want to do that. You got to be all in. You got to be, you know, ready and willing to do everything that you've got to do to win. And my heart just wasn't in 30 to 40 hours a week of fundraising, especially while I'm, you know, cause I had, I'd have had to start right away. And you know, at that point in time, when I made the decision, I still had six, seven, eight months of my term as mayor left. And I still, even with three months left, I still have a lot I want to get done. I'm not, I'm not done yet. I'm not done until the, my last day, January 5th. That's my last day. That's when I'll be done. But until that day, I'm working because I got stuff I want to do. And there's things we can do to help this community still. And I'm not ready to quit. The Jimmy Buffett lifestyle has to wait until January 6th, it sounds like. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Can I ask, I mean, I, I've, I'm a firm believer that being mayor is the single best job, not only in politics, but maybe the world. What do you think that you'll miss most about being mayor? So, well, I, I can't give you a single answer. I'll, I'll give you a couple things. One, I, I'm incredibly blessed. I've got 3,500 employees here in St. Pete, and I have never worked in my life with a better group of people. Um, you know, especially my administrators and my staff. Um, these are folks that are so dedicated to this city and to trying to do right and do the right thing. And it's just a joy to work with them every day. And so I'm going to miss the people that I work with. I'm going to miss the energy that I get from this community. I love when I have events and I'm out in public because there's just an energy here in St. Pete that is really special. It is, it's just a really welcoming, warm uh, community with really great people. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss that. And I love when I'm, I get a chance to do things with kids and visit schools. And we have an anti-bullying program that I have called be a buddy, not a bully. And I, I really have enjoyed that program because you know, it's such a, a, a huge issue in our schools and we don't control the school system uh, here in this state of Florida. It's their uh, county uh, districts and there's elected school boards. So it's not, you know, like in New York or Chicago or other cities where the city runs the school district. We don't here. And so I was looking for ways of having an impact, even though we don't run it. And programs like that are just going and meeting with the kids and talking with them. Or my Mayor's Youth Congress program, where I'm teaching kids about government and how laws get made and how they can work to stop bad things from happening to them that they don't like. Um, And then taking them to to the Capitol. uh, And these are kids who oftentimes have never even left the city limits. Those are the kind of things that I I think I'm going to miss about this job. And it is, it's without question, it's the best job I've ever had. I don't know that there is a better job in politics uh, than being mayor, uh, just because of, of the impact that you can have on your community. And it's just been, it's been an amazing eight years. Couldn't agree more. Uh, yeah, it's making me wistful for my days as mayor. Even I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you for your work. Not only, for St. Pete, but uh, again, as creating ideas that the rest of us can steal to improve our communities around the country. It's really been a pleasure talking to you today. Well, thank you. And uh, I appreciate everything you guys do. Like I said before, just having folks that, that as an elected official, I can call one of the members of the New Deal or staff up and say, hey, I'm dealing with this idea, this issue you know, anybody that's ever dealt with this before or experienced it, it is so helpful 
uh, and it, it really does make a difference. And so I, I, I thank you guys for, for being there for all of us uh, and being a, a great sounding board and support system that uh, really helps us do our jobs better. I agree. And I hope to come down, li- live the Jimmy Buffett lifestyle with you uh, post post your term and uh, enjoy enjoy everything you've done in uh, St. Pete to make it such a vibrant, livable city. Thank you so much. Well, thanks a lot. And, and you're, you're certainly welcome to come visit us anytime along with anyone else who's listening. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders and keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Road Group produces podcasts. I'm Ryan Coonerty, and because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast.